Father, we thank you for the very reason that we're here today. And, and many of us, we sing this because it's a reality for us. You are our God. And God, for some of us, we're still not sure about that. For some of us, we're curious. For some of us, we were dragged here and, and we're just here because we're here. And so, Lord, our God, would you in this moment, in this place, in the moment, the place that those, are, those who are gathering with us online, would you right now through your spirit, through your word, would you make this story new and fresh to us today? Would you remind us of the reality of resurrection, the reality of resurrection in human history, the reality of resurrection in our own individual lives? We praise you today. We praise you in this place and we'll praise you forevermore. We ask this, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, on the way down, turn to somebody, tell them Happy Easter, and then you can grab a seat. All right, so we have got, this is kind of obvious, but we've got people from all kinds of different family backgrounds, cultural backgrounds, religious backgrounds that are joining us here um, on site or in the tandem venue, um, also online here in Topeka, online throughout the United States, maybe who knows, people throughout the world um, joining us online. And I just want to kind of state the obvious here, regardless of the background you're coming in from, um, my guess is everybody here knows the punchline for Easter, right? Like it, it, it's, it's not new news to you, but, but what's, the, what's the punchline for Easter? What is it? He's risen. Yeah. Did we give you a little hint just in case, right? He's risen. Yeah. Everybody, we, we kind of know this story. And so that means there's really not any spoilers that are going to be happening anytime real soon. There's no spoiler. Like we even have language for this, right? Like if you don't want to ruin a, a movie or a TV show, spoiler alert, you just give them a little bit of a heads up. Like I don't have to do that today. Here's my question though. Like what's the statute of limitations for spoiler alert? Like is there, is there a window that we need to wait for? Like, like spoiler alert, the Royals are undefeated. Is that too soon? To say that, like they look pretty good, they look pretty good. I don't want to ruin anything, but you know, spoiler. Hey, spoiler alert: Bruce Willis is dead the entire movie. <laughs> Ask the per person next to you, or go Google it whenever we're done. It'll it'll make sense, okay? Or here's another one: Darth Vader's Luke's dad. <sighs> spoiler alert, right? Uh, how how like how long do we wait? What's the statue? Spoiler alert, we won World War II. Is that too long ago, right? There's, there's, here's, here's my point. Um, there's actually research that's been done on this. University of California, San Diego, um, that says spoiling a movie or spoiling a story for people actually doesn't ruin it for them. It actually helps them enjoy it more, right? And some of you would disagree with that. Don't do, it's not, I didn't do the research. They did the research. So you need to take that up with them. But, but it, doesn't, it doesn't ruin the story for us. It actually makes us enjoy it even more because we can, oh, okay, I know how this ends. I can relax. I can, I can kind of sit back. I can enjoy it. I, can, I notice things that I might not have noticed 
before. I can connect some dots, maybe that the dots that I haven't even seen before. It's like watching a movie for the second or third time. You notice stuff, right? So we're going to get into this story and, and, and everybody can relax because we all know how it ends. We can connect some dots that maybe we've never connected before, maybe see some things that we've never seen before. And, and, and maybe, again, maybe Maybe this can be something that God uses to, to create some new things for us, to show us some new things. And to do that, we actually have to go back to last week. If you're uh, first time with us at Grace Point or first time uh, join us for a, in a long time, we ended last week at the cross. Like you can't get to Easter without the cross. So we ended at the cross in this, this um, week of, of festival called Passover in Jerusalem, a highly emotional week um, for Jesus that ends on Friday with this, this political power play between the Jewish uh, religious authorities and the Roman authorities that conspire together to have him executed on Friday of Passover week. Jesus is brutally executed by Rome, okay? And we talked about some of the details of that. Last week, but I don't want you to miss this detail. He died. Jesus died. The Son of God died. And then Joseph of Arimathea, he was a, a member of this ruling council of Jewish uh, religious leaders that hated Jesus. Joseph wasn't a hater, but he goes to Pilate. And he asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. In the original Greek, it, it's literally the corpse of Jesus. Because Joseph knew Jesus was dead. Can I have the, the lifeless body of Jesus? And he takes, with a few, the help of a few others, he takes Jesus' body off the cross, wraps him in these linens, puts him in one of his family tombs, because Joseph was a man of means. He more than likely a cave, but he, he, rose the, he rolls this circular-shaped stone in front of the entrance, and that's that. It's the end. Now, there's, there's history that tells us that in these days in the Middle East, there are actually two stages to the burial process. This was not like the Egyptians who had embalming. There were two stages. The first stage was you take these linen wrappings and you put them in oil and, and ointment and all kinds of things. It's basically to, to, to mask the smell of death. And then the second stage is you come back years later and you take the bones, you put them in a box called an ossuary, and then that is what stays in the family tomb. So we're told it's late in the afternoon, almost evening on Friday. Friday night at sundown is when the Jewish Sabbath starts and you can no longer work at that point. So they're trying to get this done because if you don't finish it Friday night, you got to come back Sunday morning when you can work to do this. They, they get his body in the tomb Friday night. Sabbath is Saturday. And now we're at Sunday morning. Mark 16 is where we're going to be. If you have a Bible or a mobile device and you'd like to follow along, if not, we'll, we'll throw these verses up on the screen for those of you here um, in the room and those of you watching online. But this is Easter according to Mark. Here we go. Mark 16, starting in verse 1. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. They're going to finish stage one because they assume Jesus was still dead. Verse 2, very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? They didn't expect a resurrection. 
They showed up expecting what normal human beings would expect to be the truth, a crucified dead man to still be dead. And, and one of the things you kind of notice here, this is in all four gospels, by the way, it's women. It's women who go to the tomb early on Sunday morning. It's actually women who are there at the crucifixion. Like we, we have some clues that John was there as well, but it was women who were at the crucifixion. It was women who kind of from a distance paid attention to the burial process and it's women who were here showing up first at the empty tomb. And I cannot, 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 cannot explain how extraordinarily unique that was for ancient history. Because this is a culture, this is a time when women were demeaned they were devalued. They were pushed to the side. I could read you some really ugly things written about women from this period in history. They weren't women weren't even allowed to be witnesses in a trial. If, if a woman saw a murder firsthand, she couldn't testify about it in court. And yet, Mark names them as the first witnesses to the resurrection. Like this, this is intentionally included they are intentionally included at the epicenter of the Christian story. British scholar Richard Bauckham says that this is not the way you write legend. In legend, men are the heroes. In the Gospels, women are the heroes. So guys, here's rule number one from the Gospels. Listen to ladies. That one's free. That one's not even in the message. Listen to ladies. This would have been so inconvenient. This would have been so awkward for first century audiences. Why would Mark include it? Well, here's one, one, one way, one reason he might have included it. Because it's true. Because that's how it actually happened. And if that's how it actually happened, maybe the rest of what he tells us actually happened. So they're at the tomb. They've brought these spices. They're going to finish stage one of the burial process. They're, they're, they're overwhelmed, probably still in shock. I mean, uh, my, my wife and I were talking about this earlier this week. Like the trauma that they went through on Friday, they were not through that by Sunday morning. Like that was still very much a part of who they were. They're overwhelmed. They're in shock from the events of Friday. And, and, and here they say to each other, how in the world are we even going to get in there? <laughs> they, they saw the tomb Close. So how in the world are we going to get in there? Verse 4. But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. I bet they were. The Greek word alarmed there is horrified. They're horrified by this. There's someone from another plane of existence just chilling in the tomb. Okay, and yes, here we are. There is supernatural all over this story. This is an angel. This is a messenger of God. He does not have feathery wings. He does not have a golden halo like we see in the movies. But, but, but this is an angel. And when you see angels show up in Scripture, they're very human-like, except for one thing that kind of defies description. There's this, this radiance, this brilliance, this, this just brightness to them, and why wouldn't there be? They have just stepped out of the blinding glory of God into earth. Of course, there's going to be a brilliance to them. 
course there's going to be a radiance. But whatever's going on, when they show up, it must be overwhelming. Because every time an angel shows up, must be in the training manual, like Angeling 101, step one, make sure you remind human beings not to be alarmed, not to be afraid, and don't freak out. <laughs> right? And step number two, expect them to still be alarmed, be afraid, and freak out. Every single time this happens. And then the punchline, right? This is, you knew it was coming. You've been waiting for it. There's no spoiler here. You, the angel says, you are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. There it is. This is the hinge point of the story. This is where everything changes. You ladies, ladies, come on. You saw where they laid him. You were here Friday night. You saw where they laid him. You know this was the tomb of Jesus of Nazareth. You guys have been following him from village to village for years. You've been hanging on every word. You saw him crucified. You saw him buried. You saw where they laid him. And he's no longer here. Ladies, you came here this morning preoccupied with death. But I'm here to tell you the story is flipped. The story is now about life. Now, at this point, we just need to take a step back and process a few things, okay? Some of you, not all of you, but some of you struggle with the story. Some of you struggle with, with the idea of resurrection because it's completely irrational. It's completely outside of your comprehension. Welcome to the club. But I, wanna, I just want to show you a few things that people way smarter than me have said, way smarter than me have said about this very thing. Their, their comprehension goes way, way, way beyond me. So uh, first one, a professor of linguistics and classic literature at Dartmouth says that he's examined the evidence and he says, for me, the resurrection requires one external hypothesis, that there is a God who can perform miracles. And some of you, you get stuck right there because you're not sure there is a God. Hey, we can talk about that. But if there is a God, who exists outside of the three dimensions and time that we're confined to, then it's possible that he is not confined by those three dimensions and time. Which means miracles are possible for him, which means resurrection is possible for him. Another professor, this one of, of nuclear science and engineering at a little place called MIT, writes that he and his Christian colleagues believe in the literal bodily resurrection of Jesus. And he says, miracles are by definition abnormal and non-reproducible. So they cannot be proved by science's methods. This is, this is the world we live in, right? You can't reproduce resurrection in a lab. And he goes on to say that science isn't the only way that we, that we assess whether or not something is true, especially when it comes to things in the past. There's historical evidence that we can look at to see if, if something happened or not. And he says the historical evidence for the resurrection is staggeringly strong. So much so, saying that science has shown the resurrection to be impossible is an intellectual cop-out. I love that. Science shows no such thing. And then one more from William Lane Craig. He's one of the world's foremost authorities on this. He says the rational person, when fully apprised of the evidence, can confidently believe that on that first Easter morning, a divine miracle took place. I say all that to say this. If you want to be intellectually honest about this thing, about the resurrection, 
you have to do the work. You have to pull it apart. You have to search. You have to look at the evidence which is available to anyone and everyone who wants to do that. And I love, love talking about the evidence. There's a long list. That's not happening today. But if you want to have a conversation about that, let's go. I got all kinds of material and resources I could put in your hands for you to try and get your mind around this because it's out there. That's not today, though, okay? I want to, I want to actually go back into the story. The last part of Mark's gospel has so much in it. And we could, we could talk about this for weeks, but there's, there's so much for us to consider in how this thing ends. So last two verses in Mark, the angel has just told them, Jesus is in there. Here we go, verse 7, but go. Tell his disciples and Peter, he's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. Here it is, last sentence in the gospel of Mark. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. There it is. Happy Easter. Tip your waiter. Everybody drive safe. It's like, what? <laughs> that's, that's how this thing ends? Really? Okay, first of all, some of you are reading from an actual Bible or on a mobile device, and you see that there are more verses, and you're going, Tim, did you like, get your Bible from a discount bin? Or like, you don't have those? No, I have those, but in every modern translation, of Scripture, there's a parenthetical phrase that the, that the earliest manuscripts and some other ancient witnesses don't have the next few verses, to which you should ask, then where did they come from? That's, that's a good question to ask, right? Where in the world did they come from? Most scholars will say that a later editor or a copyist um, that's writing this down, and he had the same reaction to Mark's ending as you just did. Uh, that was terrible. We can do way better than that. And so he adds to the story. He tries to put a bow on it. I don't think he needed to. I actually don't think he did a very good job, whoever he is. But that, that's, that's what's happening. And the skeptics in the room, okay? Let me just talk to you for a second. The skeptics in the room are going, I knew it. Right? You guys just add whatever you want to the story to make it say whatever you want. Well, actually, the opposite is the truth. I, I, there's two places, one here um, and then one in the Gospel of John where this very thing happens and each place this note is included, which means there's honesty, there's transparency, it's good scholarship. Nobody's trying to hide anything. We're just, there it is. Makes me think this is true. Okay, so what happened? We don't really know, but I'll give you a couple of theories. First of all, the Gospels are put together from manuscripts, which are copies of copies of copies of the original. And they're put together in a book called a codex. And, and just like with some of your books, um, that last page gets a little bit worn. Maybe it gets a little bit crumpled. Maybe it's lost. And if you lose that last page, you lose out on the last part of Mark's story. That, that could have happened. There are others that say right in the middle of finishing this thing, Mark died. <laughs> so he didn't get to finish. And until this year, I thought that was the dumbest theory that you could come up with. Mark died, really? But I'm in the middle of a master's degree going through graduate school right now, and I totally get how Mark might have died writing all this stuff. <laughs> Those of you who have gone through a master's degree or, or graduate school, you know this too. It's just like, ugh, 
So I get that. I, I absolutely can see Mark dying as he got to the end of this thing. I'll give you one more option. One more option. But this one might mess with you a little bit. What if Mark did it on purpose? What if he meant to do it this way? Why in the world would he do it this way? Well, maybe. Maybe it's because he wants the story to be yours. Maybe he didn't just want to tell the story. He told it in such a way, he ended it in such a way that it would become your story. So you would enter the story. One commentator puts it like this. Mark's ending is no ending. Only the reader can bring closure. We, you and I, must decide how the story should come out. If that's true, this is brilliant. It's brilliant. Now, now to be clear, this doesn't mean we should add whatever we want to the story. It doesn't mean the gospel is about you. It is most certainly about Jesus. But it's for you. It includes you. I mean, come on. The gospel is only good news if it's your good news. The gospel is only good news if you make it your good news. Maybe that's what Mark is inviting us to do in ending his story the way that he did. So, so just to, to get ready to land this plane, I want to give you three phrases, okay? These three phrases can be three handles that you can hold on to to make the gospel good news to you. These three things happened to the original hearers. I think these three things still happen today. At least they can. And we blew right past them. Maybe you noticed them. Maybe you didn't. But I'm going to give you the three things, and then we're going to talk about them a little bit. The three, the three statements, going ahead of you, trembling and bewildered, and Peter. Going ahead of you, trembling, bewildered, and Peter. Let's talk about and Peter first. One of the first things the angel says in verse 7, but go, tell his disciples and Peter. Now, those of you who know the story know why he singles Peter out. Because on the night Jesus was arrested, Peter denies Jesus three times, right? Now, did all the disciples run and hide? Yes, absolutely. But Peter denied him three times. And, when, and I just think here in verse 7, this is a message straight from Jesus to Peter, dripping with grace. Because see, when Jesus walked out of that tomb Sunday morning, he was, he, his full intention was to restore all things, including the disciples and especially Peter. I mean, did, did, you, did you guys remember that just a few moments ago, that first song at the beginning of the service? You guys remember that song? It was a new to us. It's a new song to us. But I, I, want, I don't want you to miss two lines in that song. Who will carry? Who will carry our burdens Turn our sorrow to song. <laughs> Who gave his life on a cross? Making right what went wrong. Including what Peter did wrong. Including what you have done wrong. I mean, come on, if the resurrection is true, if it really happened, if God can raise Jesus from the dead, he can make right what's wrong. It might not happen today. It might not happen this week. It might not happen in your lifetime, but the reality of the resurrection is that God can reverse death, which means he can reverse anything. 
I'm telling you, you should circle and Peter in your Bible, write an arrow out to the margin and put your name. Okay, you're not adding to the story. You're just making it personal. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Is that true? Yes, absolutely. But for God so loved Tim that he gave his one and only son. I'm clinging to that. For God so loved you that he gave his one and only son. That's good news. But it's only good news if it's your good news. Second phrase, going ahead of you. Going ahead of you. Look again at verse 7, but go. Tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. This phrase is, is used in ancient literature to refer to a king or a general who went ahead of his troops, who went ahead of his people into new territory, leading the charge, advancing the cause. I love this image, okay? Because Jesus is on the move. His activity in the world didn't stop at resurrection. He didn't just come out of the tomb and like, oh, I'm done. Can I get an iced tea from somebody? And he just kick back and, and chill, right? Like he's still got work to do. He's still advancing into new territory. He's going to forgive and restore the disciples, absolutely. But then he's going to give them mission. He's going to give them work to do, things to accomplish. And just in case you don't make the connection, Jesus followers, it is now our turn. It is now our turn. Yes, Absolutely, Jesus forgives and restores our past, but then he sends us into the future to take new territory. And, 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 and don't confuse this. He's leading us. He's leading the charge, but we get to join him in that, which means your life, the work of your hands, can echo into eternity when you join Jesus in his mission. That your life doesn't, the purpose and meaning of your life doesn't have to end when your life ends. How good is God anyway? To allow our lives to echo into eternity? I mean, when we talk about leading people into a growing relationship with Jesus, you know what we're talking about? We're talking about joining Jesus as he takes new ground. He's the one who's doing it. We're just following him. When we talk about joining a team and serving here at Grace Point, you know what we're talking about? We're talking about joining Jesus as he takes new ground. We talk about helping the defenseless. We talk about pursuing injustice and doing something about injustice. We're talking about joining Jesus as he takes new ground. We talk about joining together with other churches here in town through ShareFest. We're not just talking about giving up a Saturday morning. We're talking about joining Jesus as he takes new ground. We talk about, you know, packing backpacks through Topeka North Outreach. We're, we're talking about joining Jesus as he takes new ground. By the way, we, we had a goal in March of collecting 3,000 individual snacks. You guys gave 3,800 individual snacks throughout the month of March. Blew past the goal, right? What Josh said earlier is true. We don't, we don't just say you're generous. You prove you're generous. When I brag about this church, I brag about our generosity because you're so generous. Feeding kids who might not eat on the weekend? Yeah, come on. We're joining Jesus as he takes new ground. And if that, if that scares you, if that confuses you, if there's something about that just makes you nervous, let me remind you of the third phrase. 
trembling and bewildered. <laughs> trembling and bewildered. If you think resurrection means that your life is going to be oakly doakly and you're going to run off into the sunset with Jesus, spoiler alert, life is hard. Life is unjust. It's unfair. Come on, sometimes it's just flat out overwhelming. And some of you, this is the part of the resurrection. This is the part of the story that you came to hear today. Because this is unbelievable news that these ladies have just encountered. It's going to revolutionize. It's going to change them forever. And it's going to take them a little while for them to get their head around. If you know the story, you know it takes them a little bit. And we know where the story goes. But in this moment, they're discombobulated. They're bewildered. That word bewildered means off balance. It's, it's the feeling, maybe you've done this before, where you lean back in a chair and you get going too far and all of a sudden you're falling over and you're just grabbing at anything trying to not fall back. That's the feeling. They're, they're bewildered. And some of you, some of you have been feeling like that for the last 12 months, haven't you? COVID, politics, racism, what, whatever. Fill in the blank. You've, you've felt bewildered. you felt like you're free-falling. You're, you're grabbing at something. And in that moment, you know exactly how these ladies felt even after hearing good news. Trembling and bewildered. And if that's you, I just want you to hear today. The resurrection absolutely means... There's coming a day when all sickness will be restored. Everything broken will be made right. Every wrong will be made right. And death itself will face its final and forever death. That is absolutely true because of the resurrection. But the resurrection also means Jesus is with you in the midst of the sickness. It means he's with you in the midst of the brokenness. He's with you when everything you see around you looks wrong. And yeah, it also means he's with you even in the face of death. Yeah, there's a day coming when the storms of life will be no more. But in the meantime, he's right there with you in the middle. of it. So anybody trembling and bewildered today? Anybody dealing with Stuff that you just can't get past. Anybody here like Peter? You feel like you need forgiveness? You feel like you need restoration? You feel like you need a second chance? Anybody here want your life to echo into eternity? See, I think, I think those are all things that we yearn for inside of us. We want our life to matter. We, we want a second chance. We want to find peace in the midst of chaos. And here's the good news that I came to tell you today. The resurrection affirms all those things for which our heart yearns. The resurrection makes everything true that we wish was true. Jesus' new life can give your life meaning beyond the grave. <laughs> Jesus' second dance can give you a second chance. Jesus' victory over sin and death gives him the last word over sin and death. 
And this is why we celebrate, right? Like, this is why we sing. It's the reason we gather. It's the reason we're going to gather again next week. He was raised to new life. And all the things that we wish were true, we yearn to be true, can be true because he is risen. He's alive. And because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because he lives. I can feel trembling and bewildered to know Jesus is still with me. And so we'll end where we started. We started with he is Jesus, right? He is Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow on heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is good news today. So if you're ready, let's sing it. Let's live it. Let's celebrate it. Got one more song for you. I'd love for you to stand to your feet. If you're ready for this or not, it's coming at you hot. Here we go. Happy Easter, everybody.